0: You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome one and all to episode 232 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast, where we discuss hobby stuff and, you know, other things. Yep, that's what we do here. So what are we talking about today? Well, we have the top 10 things that are hard to argue with about warhammer and games workshop we also have a want that or want that not with the commissar that's the new model for Astra militarum we also have a letter from who i will pronounce his name as michael because it's spelled um unusually and he did not clarify how to pronounce it so it's like mikhail or it's michael but uh i'm just calling him michael i'm sorry michael if i mispronouncing your name and uh He's taking me to task for something. It's like every other week I'm either someone's singing my praises or someone is tearing me a new rectum. But honestly, two rectums is pretty efficient, so I let him do his thing. I'm I'm not going to argue, you know. When life gives you two anuses, you just poop twice as fast, I guess. So, what have I been up to? Well, at the club this week, I played two games of brutality with my friend Matt. We had a really good time. I lost both of them, and um I just I didn't roll very well, that's for sure. I rolled pretty good on my saves. But other than that, I got a lot of critical saves. But um, like just for instance, I'll just give you a for instance, right? Our first my first activation of the game, I I move up there, I run up there, and I go to charge his person. I'm in like an optimal position. I'm gonna get the rear arc to the charge and all this, and I roll a one for the charge, which is a critical fail, which means uh, no matter how far I needed to go, a one inch is not gonna work. So that sucked. Then I was going to uh, my next activation was my fast guy. He was over in the corner pretty much by himself. So he could run up and capture an objective. So he moved and he needed to run at least four inches to get to the objective. I was going to use my command token to activate the objective because my leader was still alive. And I rolled a one to run. So then I couldn't activate the objective. Okay. So then... (laughs) my third activation was uh, one of my support characters and she ran up to the objective she activated it and rolled a natural 10 which is a natural 1 or a 10 bad things happen and you don't score a point well in this one we were playing the um, uh, twilight fields which is like a haunted area and these ghostly people uh, on ghostly cavalry starts um, coming across the board and guess what side they came on Oh, my guy that just failed his run and never got to score on the objective. Yeah, they murdered him. Yep, just murdered him immediately. Like, I didn't get a chance to react. They just murdered him. So I rolled a one for a charge. I rolled a one for a run. And then I rolled a 10 for the objective and killed one of my own people, giving Matt a point. And those were my three first um, activations for that game. So you can see how my night was going. The funny thing is, though, is with Brutality, I still had a blast. I still had fun. So, I mean, I can't really argue about that. And, you know, Brutality, the dice are gonna screw you. They are going to screw you. So you basically, you uh, you attack it like an orc player used to when the orc players had a bunch of random rolls. You're like, well, I hope I roll good. And if I don't, I'm screwed. It's not quite that bad, but you get my point. Then, this week, we decided to make a family trip down to Virginia, and we saw one of my friends, John, I met him through Shorehammer. He came to the very first Shorehammer and he's been to every Shorehammer since. He's the guy that um uh, helps me out and does all of the tournament stuff, keeps up with the FAQs and all the changes to the secondaries and all that nonsense that I have no stomach to do. Yeah, that's John. John takes care of all that. And originally we were going to play each other and then it, it didn't really work out. And then eventually we're like, you know what? instead of playing a game like really what we want to do why are we really playing a game anyway it's to hang out with each other right so why don't we just hang out together and that's exactly what we did so we went to breakfast um and my family went to an aquarium while me and uh, john had breakfast and uh, had a blast john is always fun to talk to always very nice guy and everybody at shorehammer says oh john oh john oh yeah i like john every i've never heard A bad word about John. Very, very nice guy. Same thing with Grendel, same thing with Kojo. No there's a lot of nice people at Shorehammer. And um so we just we just shot the ball. We ate breakfast and we talked for like two hours straight and just about, you know, life and about, you know, philosophy and raising kids. And we did talk about Warhammer, but believe it or not, most of our conversation was not about Warhammer. We just enjoyed hanging out. So that was the highlight of my weekend. Now, uh, me and the family did do um, we wik- we hulk. I can't talk. We wiked or we hulked. I don't know. It was either a hike or a walk. It was a walk, a wike or a hulk. We hiked some parks that were a lot of fun, and uh, we ate out at this Thai restaurant. We'd never really had real Thai food before. My wife had, but me and the kids hadn't. And it was it was not cheap, but it was absolutely delicious. And shockingly, even the kids liked it. So. That was cool. Um, and that's basically our weekend. So we had a lot of fun. We had fun as a family. I got to see my buddy John. And it's just, once again, I'm so grateful for this hobby and so grateful for Shorehammer that I've met so many nice people. And I can just, you know, globetrot a bit in my off season and go hang out with Kojo, go hang out with um, um uh, Leroy Jenkins here in a couple months and go out and see Basement Gamers, and go down and see John and just just hang out with people, man. It's awesome. All right, well, uh, I believe that's it. So let's get on with the rest of the show. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. Well, it is that old Tesseract mailbox, and today we have a letter from Michael McHale. I don't know. It's M-I-K-A-L. Michael? I'm sorry if I'm butchering your name, Michael. Michael. Anyway, we have an email, and I'm just going to call you Michael because I don't know how to pronounce it, and it looks like it might be Michael. So um, we have an email from Michael, and he writes, What up, 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 Mr. P? (laughs) Long time listener, first time writer inner. I was going to write in praising you, but then there's been a lot of glad handing lately, so I figured I'd be the bad boy on the block and criticize. I think you're way off base saying that players are chumps for choosing a specific chapter. Going back to the root of Warhammer, players are intended to read their lore, find a chapter that speaks to them either tactically or artistically, and make the commitment. They make a stand on what chapter they're going to play, and that is a purely narrative slash fluffy choice. Saying that locking a player into a chapter is a bad thing only reinforces the competitive quote, I'm ultras now. Now I'm Iron Hands, now I'm Fists mentality. Chasing the hotness is the problem I have with most competitors these days and all days since I started. You should be praising the people who choose a chapter because they are the exact type of people who read the books, get into the lore, and make fluffy lists based off of what their army really would bring versus whatever is good. I do see that GW doesn't exactly support this point of view with their constant changes and tweaks. But the chapter chumps are your target demographic, the fluff people. Boo! Michael. <laughs> so, uh, Michael, I think we kind of got our, our wires crossed here, because I probably didn't articulate it well enough, even though I love to talk and I talk a lot, but I really wasn't attacking those people last uh, last episode. And yes, I was calling them chumps, and yes, my verdict basically was that they were chumps for choosing a chapter, but it's it's not that I disagree with them choosing a chapter. I think that's awesome. You know, and a lot of people, I know lots of people that play Ultramarines or Salamanders or whatever, and they play that specific chapter, and that's what they've always played, come hell or high water. They don't care whatever chapter is better at the moment or whatever, they just stick with their, their favorite. And I do definitely respect that, and I do definitely think that's the way to play the game arguably properly. Okay, I think I agree with you, Michael, that it is supposed to be played that way. You are supposed to find whatever you enjoy, and then you lock yourself into it. You dedicate yourself to it. You dedicate your paint scheme to whatever that chapter is, or you dedicate your build to whatever your favorite stuff is with no mind whatsoever to whatever's in the meta. So I completely agree with you, and they really are my target demographic. I would probably assume most of my listeners are fluff players, now, I also said that I don't choose a specific chapter. You're, I mean, but I wasn't trying to make it sound like I disagreed with choosing a chapter. It's just the fact that I always get a little bored easily. If an army plays a certain way every single time, I'll get bored with playing them. So then I'll just randomly pick a chapter or whatever. I'm not, I'm also not chasing the meta or whatever's best right now. It's basically like, you know, whatever chapter suits the list I built or. Just randomly choose a chapter or I have some of my favorites like I've always liked Novak because my Necrons a little more melee oriented, that sort of thing. But I certainly did not mean to uh, talk bad about the people that actually choose a chapter because I think you're 100% uh, right Michael, I just called you Reichel. right Michael is that that truly is the quote-unquote right way to play the game, and we all should be doing that. Find what you like, find the models you like, find the chapter you like, and dedicate yourself to that. And then doesn't matter. doesn't matter whatever the meta is doing. Um, I know a lot of players don't play that, specifically the competitives, but uh, just James and I have always just done generic chapters so that we could be any one of them, just for variety. It, I have never once changed my chapter because oh now this chapter's a good chapter or whatever. That's not that's not what I do. Matter of fact a lot of times I'll be like huh I haven't ever played this chapter. I'll take this one now or whatever. I mean I just did that when we played up at Kojo's um like a month ago. We played up at my uh, friend and Patreon patron Kojo's and I literally just picked a different chapter I'm like huh I've never played this Necron Dynasty. Okay, this is my list now and just want to see how it plays. So I don't know if it was a wires crossed sort of communication error, or maybe I just did not. um, I did not praise this type of people enough. And I focused more on the fact that GW doesn't really support that point of view. Maybe that's I focused too much on that. But really, my my thought was, is that people that choose chapters aren't chumps just because they chose a chapter. It's that GW's environment they've created with the constant releases and changes and tweaks, and one chapter's way better and then one chapter's terrible, and all of that that makes those people chumps. It's not that they're chumps for doing what they enjoy or whatever's creatively interesting to them or that's how they like the player, it's or whatever. It's that the I was actually bashing GW because that is the scenario GW has created with all of this. So I am 100% in agreement with you, Michael. And now you're going to have to write me back and praise me next week because I'm itching for all of that praise that I missed out on. All right, you can reach me at PimpCron at gmail.com with two Ps or Facebook.com slash PimpCron with two Ps or Instagram with just one P. It's PimpCron. Want that or want that not? On this week's Want That or Want That Not, we're covering the new Commissar model for Astra Militarum, and it is really nothing special when you first look at it. It's just a Commissar. It's your typical Commissar. You've seen a million Commissars. You know what a Commissar looks like, right? He's got the peaked hat, he's got the trench coat, he's got a little bit of armor here and there, he's got a bolt pistol, he's got a chainsword. He's just a typical Commissar. But one thing I have to say about this new model that I really, really like is that I usually compliment Games Workshop's models on their motion, on their activity. They look like they're charging into battle or they're swinging a big axe or they're firing this heavy weapon or or whatever. They usually look like they're doing something. And Games Workshop is really good for all of that motion and that action. But something that I really like about this Commissar that is a real departure from anything else Games Workshop has done recently is that this Commissar... Has absolutely no motion to him. He's stoic. He's standing there. He's standing there flat footed. He's not walking. He's not running. He's not even lifting his bolt pistol to shoot at someone. He's not swinging his chainsword. He is looking you dead in the eye. And it's got such a. This is going to sound stupid talking about a miniature, but it has such an attitude to it that I really, really like. It has such a. Uh, cold-hearted killer look to it. Like, you are the infantryman, right? And you're like, oh, crap, this is terrible. I'm going to flee. And you turn around, and this is the dude that's just staring at you. And he wouldn't even have to put a bullet in you to make the unit pass the morale check. He would just stare you down. And he's like, yeah, I got a bolt pistol. Yeah, I got a sword. Guess what? I don't need either one of those to look you through your soul. Like he's it's it's really impressive. I, I cannot believe that I enjoy a model that is so stationary, you know, especially a character that's normally, you know, spinning around and doing this and running and whatever. It is such a great characterization of this type of model where the commissars are the hard nosed badasses and they just they're the real backbone of the army in a lot of ways and certainly the backbone of the troops keeping their morale and all that. So I really have to give it to them. I really enjoy when Games Workshop goes out of their normal wheelhouse, and it used to be that a lot of their miniatures didn't have motion, but it was because they, I think it was like a technological issue where they didn't have the right ability to mold it that way or sculpt it that way, or it was a metal miniature or resin and that's soft or whatever, So they've gone to a lot of motion and for a long time motion was the wow factor like that's that looks like he really is jumping and swinging his sword or whatever and I enjoy when Games Workshop does something completely different and gives something its own feeling and this dude is just screaming for a diorama like he really is he's screaming to be standing on top of a trench. And there's dead Cadians all around him in the trenches and all that. And he's the last man standing. And there's just like an alien horde of termagants coming up the hill. And he's not even shooting his gun. He's just staring at him. Like it's just there's such an interesting attitude to this model. I really enjoy $35 for a character with like four wounds and a five up save is pretty BS to me. But uh, <laughs> but that's that's what a commissar is. So this is probably my favorite commissar model I've ever seen. And usually they're shooting their plasma pistol or their chain, you're swinging their chainsword. This is just so cool. I really like him. And matter of fact, I might actually get that model. I like it so much. So that's a want that for me. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pimp Cron. Oh, well, you know what time it is. It's Real Talk with the Pimp Cron. And today I've got 10 musings, 10 little facts i guess you could say 10 little laws 10 little opinions that are really hard to deny and i think basically all of us can agree on it about our hobby and about wargaming in general okay so they're going to start with the things that are maybe most arguable like things that may not apply to every single one of you all the way up to some things that are pretty darn undeniable that i i really don't think anybody could argue with me on okay So let's start with number 10, 15 millimeter and less is just too small. You ever heard the analogy that old people eventually just hop off the fashion train? I think it was like Jeff Foxworthy or somebody said that 20 years ago, where old people, they just suddenly choose a style from an era and then they dress like that for the rest of their life. They just hopped off. A lot of war gamers like that, you know, the old old hammers where they're like, oh, third edition was best. Oh, well, I'm done now. I play third edition forever. Well, there's a point where most wargamers just hop off the train, and that point is typically 25 to 28 millimeter. A lot of people think 32 millimeter is fine, right? A lot of people obviously think 28 millimeter is fine. The most people think 28 millimeter is fine, and then many people think 25 millimeter is fine. 25 millimeter really is Lord of the Rings battle game, and um, Mantic is really a 25 millimeter, whereas 40K is a 28, and things like um, Uh, Malifaux, or Wild West Exodus, and those, those are 32mm. Within that range, basically, everybody can agree that that is acceptable for miniatures. But if you get less than 25mm, that's when stuff gets weird. Your miniatures get really small, it's hard to paint them, it's actually really easy to paint them, but it's hard to make them look good. And a lot of people don't own terrain for 15mm or smaller. Because you know Wargaming goes all the way down to like 5 millimeter. And I've seen that in uh, War Games Illustrated, guys do 5 millimeter warbands, and their whole troop of like 100 people is just where they cut off uh, the tips of uh, uh, toothpicks. And it's like 100 toothpicks just colored little dabs of color, and that's their troops. Because it's so darn small that it like, basically fits on a quarter coin. I would say that for number 10 of this list, most people can agree that 15 millimeter and lower is just too small. It just is. Sorry, I really like fifteen millimeter. I like the look of it, but most people do not like smaller than twenty-five mil. Number nine, basing always makes the look the model look better. Now, I didn't originally think this when I first started. I fought it. I didn't want to do basing. I was basically being lazy, etc., etc. But then when I started basing my models, I was like, damn. This does look really cool, even if your basing doesn't match the ground, which is always something that kind of bothers me. That's why most of my people are like on dirt, dirt and rocks, because, you know, dirt and rock can be city, dirt and rock can be forest, dirt and rock can be arguably desert or mountains or whatever. You know, even snow, technically, you could be standing in a melted spot. Um, but if you do snow and you're playing in the desert, it's kind of weird. Snow you're doing it in the forest, it's kind of weird. But either way, even if you do do snow, even if you do do something that's uh very specific to a certain climate, your model always looks better when the model's based. I don't know why. It's like a miniature diorama. You would think that logically, it wouldn't matter what the base looks like. You paint your model. If your model looks good, it's on a black circle. Who cares? I mean, logically, that doesn't seem like it would matter. But you have to agree, or at least most people can agree, that models look way better when the basing's done. Number eight, nobody looks at eyes. Nobody only the, only the extreme people that love painting and are super into the painting hobby ever check to see if you painted the damn pupils on your miniature. Now, I'm willing to bet some of you that were not really on the you really weren't on board with me with the 15 millimeter, you only somewhat on board with me with the basing. I think a lot more of you at this point are on board with what I'm saying now. Eyes are a no-go. There's no point to paint eyes 9.9 times out of 10. I get it if you're doing something for a competition. I get it if you enjoy painting. But the average Joe Blow player never picks up a model and is like, hey, did you paint these fucking eyes on here? No, nobody ever does that. So I think that we can all agree on that. Let's go to number seven. You've hidden at least one. Warhammer purchase from your spouse or your family. At least one. Go- don't even nope, don't even try to deny it. We have all at one point kind of like slyly sh- snuck in a box into the house. And then you're like, "What? No, I've always had that on the shelf. What are you talking about? My grandfather gave that to me in the 80s when he died." No, that's what you tell your spouse. No, we've all had at least one hidden purchase from family, or a spouse. And that is pretty much undeniable. I think everybody has done that at some point. Even if you're not hiding it from a spouse, even if you're not hiding it from a family member or something like that, you have actually been embarrassed at some point and kind of like downplayed your purchases to a friend or someone who knows how often you buy stuff. And um, you know, maybe you shouldn't have bought it. Maybe you didn't really have the money that month for it. Maybe you're a little guilty about it because you know you really didn't need a third unit of Tyranid Warriors or whatever you bought. And you have definitely done that. You cannot argue against that. Number six, pro-painted is rarely pro-painted, okay? If you guys have been on eBay at all, it's like a running gag. That's like, oh, pro-painted. Oh, look at this, pro-painted. Number one, check the eyes. If they didn't paint the eyes, it's not pro-painted. You can look back down on number eight of this list, okay? Um, number two, it is rarely pro-painted, and the things that truly are pro-painted are, like, super expensive on eBay. So there's really no point to buy pro-painted because you're not going to match their color scheme unless you're going to buy the entire army from one painter so it all looks the same. Buying a single unit from a, a, a painter and it's actually pro-painted, you're paying, like, four or five times the actual cost of the model, and then it's not going to perfectly match the rest of your army. So it depends on whether or not you care about that. But nine times out of ten, pro-painted rarely means pro-painted. Number five. This might be a little controversial, but I think all of us can agree that the jump to 32mm bases for Space Marines was a good jump. I think it was a good decision. I think the Space Marines look way better on 32mm bases. They're beefier looking. They take up more of the board. They're just more imposing on a 32-millimeter base than a 25-millimeter base. I really believe that. Depending on how you had them positioned, their feet were, like, dangling off the 25-millimeter base. Do you remember that? Like, they they were, like, standing on this tiny little... It looked like uh, in the cartoons, Looney Tunes, when the whole planet blows up, and Duck Dodgers is just standing on this tiny little speck of planet with, like, a root hanging, and Marvin the Martian's hanging on the root beneath him, and he's like, Oh, I claim this for the planet! That's what they look like when they're on the 25 millimeter bases. If your toes are sticking off your base, bro, you need to just get bigger base. I think 25 millimeter bases are the skinny jeans of miniatures. There, I said it. I said it. I've said what we're all thinking. Number three, you have more than one hobby project in the works right now. You do. I, I've seen your house. I know you have more than one kit bash that is not finished kit bashing. You have more than one neat conversion that's just sitting in a drawer somewhere. You have more than one army that you kind of started, but you didn't finish, and then you're just kind of sitting there in limbo. Yeah, you definitely do. Don't, don't, don't try. No, I know. I know. So do I. I've got, I've got far too many. Uh, well, I can't even get a list right. I think I skipped number four. I think I went from five to three. Whatever. Number five. (laughs) (laughs) Number four, GW is schizophrenic. I'm sorry, they are. If you look at the creative department, they definitely love Warhammer. They're into Warhammer, they know the lore, they write fantastic stories. Black Library is an amazing uh, arm of GW. They've produced all sorts of fantastic stuff. They know their stuff, they know their lore, they're really into it, they really do love the art of Warhammer. The sculptors put so much time and effort into every single detail and the little tabards and the little ribbons and all of that nonsense, and they they try to create motion and action in the models and all of the engineering that goes behind making the spurs and slicing up the models so that they'll be injected properly and all of that, there's a ton of skill and a ton of passion that goes into Warhammer, and I think that's pretty undeniable. But. At the same time, there's an equally influential aspect to games workshop where they are purely about milking you for money. Purely about money, purely about the meta constantly changing it so that people buy this or buy that or chase this this next hotness, right? There's uh the constant price increases the horrible uh, editing and sometimes formatting of their books where the people poured their heart and soul into these stories they wrote into the codexes. And then the codex themselves, the meat and potatoes of it, all the alignments are off. And then a lot of the rules are poorly worded. There was pro- probably no editing. There's a lot of typos. I mean, there's like the half of Games Workshop that truly loves the hobby. And they probably play Warhammer themselves as-, as a passion. Then there's like the corporate half of Games Workshop. And I think you can all agree with me that Games Workshop is quite schizophrenic in the way they operate because half the time they're a total douchebag and they just purely want their your money because they're a corporation and they're just like a hungry, hungry hippo with your wallet. The other half the time you're like, wow, someone really cares about this IP. Someone really does care about the game and the lore and even some of the rules you see are pretty fluffy and, you know, like triarch Praetorians don't get the dynasty of, of whatever you chose because they're technically not part of the dynasty. They're part of the triarchs. You know what I mean? They, they do put fluffy stuff in there, but it's diluted by all of the other stuff that the other half of their, uh, personality puts in there. So I think we can all agree that games workshop does not have a singular, singular view I think there are the people that absolutely do it as a passion. And there's other people that are just after your money. So Games Workshop is schizophrenic. Number two, I think we can all agree that transports, as in the things that you transport your army in, is never, ever our first thought. If you think about that, like you pick these models, you like this army. Oh, you might like the rules. You you know, you've got the codex. You buy the models, and you assemble the models, and you paint them, and you all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, every one of us at some point have reached the point where it's like the person that paints the floor of a room and then paints themselves into a corner, and they go, "Oh, I can't leave this room until the paint's dry. I've just painted myself into a corner." It's basically us with our armies, at least our first army. Because transporting the models are almost never in our mind when we're first starting an army. We're like, oh man, this lore is cool. The IP is cool. I like the setting. Oh, these models are cool. Oh, wow, look at this paint job. I love all this. I'm going to build this list, and I'm going to play this way, and I'm going to have so much fun and make new friends. And uh, Wait, I got to bring my whole army to the store? How do you bring a whole army to a store? (laughs) And then you have to actually like research it or ask a friend or you got to think back to, oh, all my friends bring army transports. Okay, well, I guess I got to buy one of those. It's like nobody ever thinks about the army transport until they already have the army and it's assembled and it needs transporting. It's just funny to me. It's happened to me. It's happened to pretty much everybody I know where they just they get so caught up in the game that afterwards they're like, oh, shit, I got to buy or make a transport now. And it's just just one of those little weird things in life that basically everybody gets hooked into. And finally, number one on the list of things that are basically undeniable about Warhammer. I know this probably will be a controversial statement to some of you who still have, you know, a coal in your heart where Warhammer Fantasy Battle used to be, right? But Age of Sigmar was actually a really good decision. It really was. I'm comfortable in saying that now, and... It's funny because it's it's kind of like a no duh now, right? Age of Sigmar is very popular. Um, they've made way more money in Age of Sigmar, uh, Sigmar, and spread it out and expanded it and all of that, developed it way more. And they've got way more armies in Age of Sigmar than they ever did in Fantasy Battle. Now I know a few of those like Flesh Eater Courts and those are broken off from larger armies, but now they are also getting slowly filled out more and more, like Sylvaneth. The um that now they are their own army in their own right, instead of being part of Wood Elves or whatever. And there was a lot of people, I mean a lot of people, back in the day when Age of Sigmar was announced and the Old World was killed and all of that, a ton of people, probably the majority, were saying that that was the bad move. Age of Sigmar was a bad decision and a bad risk, and Games Workshop's going to be out of business within a year, and Games Workshop shot themselves in the foot. And Games Workshop did a terrible decision, and this is a risk they shouldn't have taken, and blah, 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 blah. And guess what? Age of Sigmar actually turned out to be a pretty darn good decision for Games Workshop. And you know, it's funny, because this sounds like a no dub moment, like I said, but I've never actually heard anybody vocally state that Age of Sigmar turned out to be a really good decision for Games Workshop, versus the... Catastrophe that everybody, including myself, I didn't think it was great, especially the first edition of Age of Sigmar. But they did learn their lessons. They did actually add points and things like that. Um, the first edition of Age of Sigmar really was kind of a cat- catastrophe. But they rebounded, and ultimately, Age of Sigmar is way more successful than Warhammer Fantasy was for sales and expansion and all of that. So, I think that is ten things that are basically undeniable that you cannot disagree with about warhammer and i hope you enjoyed it thank you to Gameat.eu for supporting the show and panhandle3d.com as well as my beautiful sexy juicy succulent just moist in general patreon patrons i'll see you next week guys